Amen. Amen. Thank you, uh, Ethan. I hope those things are really true. But uh, I'm so glad you came this morning, and I'm happy to be here. It's a a pleasure to be here. I'm excited and a little nervous about being here. I'm not a preacher. I share my story a little bit last year when I spoke. Um, But I do want to just say that I wasn't raised in the church so I don't really consider myself a, a church person. And when I first started going, it was about when I was 25, I got saved. Uh, a lot of words were thrown around that I wasn't very familiar with. And one of those words was gospel. Gospel's not a word we really use except within church circles. Uh, but in case you don't know, gospel just means good news. And it is the good news of how God restored his relationship with us through his son, Jesus Christ. Now, why he did this, how he did this, and did he really do this, and what it means to you and me, um, we'll talk about that. Stay tuned, stay tuned. So we've been talking about the real Jesus in this series over the summer, the real Jesus. And this morning, I want to focus on what Jesus wants to be known for and what I hope you want to be known for as well, and what he wants us to be known for. And we cover what, that God is in the flesh, that Jesus got into the flesh. That's who he is. He came to show us what God is really like. And when we uncover what God is really like, uh, we're also uncovering what the Holy Spirit's like. So Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit, all one. This morning, like other mornings, you're hearing uh, voices. Obviously, you're hearing my voice, and in church, a lot of times, we talk about hearing voices. You have a voice, an inner voice from your heart, mind, we call. It's your soul. Uh, There's also the voice of God, and when we talk about hearing voices, the inner voice and the voice of God, we hear that really by an affirmation of his word as we read his written word. So this morning, I want you to listen for his voice as we read his word together. I want you to listen to his voice. Now, there's other voices out there, and you've got to discern between those. In Jeremiah 17, 9, it tells us the heart is deceitful and beyond cure. So that tells us that we can deceive ourselves. My wife taught me this uh, a few months ago. She told me one day when I was going through some struggles, she said, don't listen to yourself. And uh, I said, what what do you mean don't listen to yourself? She said, you need to be talking to yourself, but talk truth, speak truth to yourself. And as we've already said, we get the truth from the Word of God. The truth comes from the Word of God. And that was great, great advice. This morning, I got some truth. I want to share with you from the words of God. I want you to help me with this, too, in a little bit. Uh, In God's eyes, the truth is that he sees you as extremely valuable. You are extremely valuable in his eyes. Now, you may have had a, a rough morning, a rough week. Maybe you've had a rough life. So knowing that you're immeasurably valuable from God's viewpoint is really important. And that's something that you can speak to yourself. So, we're going to do this. On the count of three, I want you to say, I am valuable to God. Will you do that? Yeah, yeah. Okay, ready? 
One, two, three. I am valuable to God. Yes, and we know this from his word because he gave the most valuable gift in exchange for your life. And in Romans 8, 38 and 39, he tells us that absolutely nothing can separate you from his love. So you are extremely valuable. Speak truth to yourself every day and it can change the way you think. I got one more activity for you. All right, so uh, this is uh, something that we all got to get do. You know, we all got to do this. And uh, being a teacher, you know, you ask involvement a little bit. Uh, the good news is that there's no wrong answers. So you can't be wrong. I'm going to say a word, and you say the first thing that comes to your mind. Game? Good? Good, good. All right, here we go. All right, first word, Starbucks. That was, that was good. That was easy. All right, Ford. Yeah, okay, I heard some different things. Truck was in the 8 o'clock group mainly. Michael Jordan. Yeah, y'all right on, right on. Vidalia. Man, y'all are good. All right, here you go. Church. <laughs> that was a little tricky, wasn't it? Yeah, it was like the 8 o'clock service. Um, so what is the church known for? And, of course, we are the body, the church. What are we known for? And that's what we're going to talk about today. Y'all really did that good. And in Stephen Covey's book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, uh, and I know he's a Mormon, so a little grace here. It's still good truth, okay? This part is good truth. Um, it's some good information. Uh, he has the readers go through this exercise. So we're going to do this exercise together. You don't have to shout out anything. I just want you to think about it. All right, here we go. Uh, he asked you, and let's do this. You are um, going to a funeral. You're going to a funeral, and when you come into the chapel for the funeral, you walk in, and as you walk through the rows of, of chairs, you see all the people that you've ever known, your family, your friends, brothers, sisters, children, co-workers, anybody that you've ever known, they're all there. And then you see the open casket in the front of the chapel. So you're curious, you walk up and you look into the casket and you're shocked to see who's in there. It's you, you're in the casket. You realize this is your funeral. So you go back and have a seat and one by one, the people that knew you best get up and start talking about your life. Uh, they don't just talk about things you did. They talk about how you made them feel. The question I want you to think about this morning is, what do you want these people to say? What would you want them to say about your life? And what would they say about your life? Now, whatever it is you want to be said about you, is what's most important in your life, is what you think is most important in relationships. And that's really what's most important. Um, and I really encourage you to write this down, to do this. If you, you know, you might have thought of some things just as we're talking, but I encourage you to take the time to write this down because this is your life mission statement. And if you're not on track to do the things that are most important, then you might need to change some things. The great evangelist D.L. Moody said, my greatest fear is not that I failed, but that I succeeded at something that didn't matter. 
So what does matter? What's really important? And more importantly, what does Jesus say that matters? What does he want to be known for, and what does he want you to be known for? So that's my goal for this message today, that you will know what really matters, what you should be known for, what Jesus wants to be known for. So we'll be reading in John chapter 13. Took a little while to get there, didn't it? John chapter 13, and we'll start in verse 18, and that's about in the middle of the chapter, and we're going to go all the way to the end. So we're picking up where we left off last week, where, where Frankie talked about Jesus washing the disciples' feet, and that was a great message. Go back and listen to that if you haven't already. We're going to pick up verse 18. So Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples. Again, he's just finished washing his disciples' feet. And he says, I'm not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen, but this is to fulfill the passage of the scripture, which he, he, he who has shared my bread has turned against me. This is uh, Psalm 41.9. From now on, this is verse 19, from now on I'm telling you before it happens, so that when it does happen, you may believe I am he. One thing that we can learn from this patch is that, is that God's in control, and he sees the end of things at the beginning. And that's because he is the God of all time. He created time. He is above and beyond all time. So he knows exactly what is going to happen before it ever happens. And we call this the sovereignty of God. He's got a plan, and his plan is good. And it's not just a good plan, it's a good plan for you. Now, the question sometimes comes up, if God's in total control and he's sovereign, does that mean we don't have a choice, you don't have a choice? Uh, well, you do have a choice. In his sovereignty, God has allowed each of us to choose. And that's what he did in the beginning with Adam. He could choose to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which was not allowed or he could choose to eat from every other place in the garden. Anything but the tree of uh, knowledge of good and evil. Adam had a choice. And by the way, uh, love demands a choice. You cannot love without a choice. So he sees the end at the beginning. He saw what was going to happen. He saw what Judas was going to do. He saw the cross even before Adam fell. It was his plan of redemption for all people, for every time, for all of us. Let's keep reading. Verse 20. Truly, truly, I say to you, the one who receives anyone I send receives me, and the one who receives me receives him who sent me. What we need to do here, if you don't mind, is put yourself in the disciples' shoes for a moment. Uh, you're in the upper room. You're with the other 11 disciples. You've been hanging out with these guys for three years. You've watched miracles. You've been a part of a lot of these miracles. And your mind's been blown, and your world's been turned upside down. Judas is there in the group. And Jesus has just made a statement that one of you is going to be a traitor. And soon, G Judas will be identified, and the other disciples will realize this. But Jesus wanted the disciples to know that even though Judas 
which they would find out later would be the betrayer, it didn't nullify his message or the message that they would bring to. This reminds us that no one is saved by a messenger. It's the message of God. No one is saved by a preacher. It's the message of God. It's the word of God working in a person. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. So no matter what happens in a group of believers, people will fail. Preachers will fail. But that doesn't change the message. That doesn't change the truth. And Jesus wanted to make sure we knew that. Verse 21. When Jesus said these things, he became troubled in spirit and testified and said, Truly, truly, I say to you that one of you will betray me. Betrayal only occurs in close relationships. You have to have a close relationship before betrayal can ever happen. It's because it's a violation of intimate trust. Someone that you have loved has intentionally hurt you. And Jesus begins to express human emotions with betrayal. It's a broken trust of relationship. And I believe that's what troubled Jesus the most. And that's because that was his primary mission, to restore broken relationships. And Jesus knows how painful this is going to be, this news is going to be to the disciples. And this is indicated by how much detail John provided about what was going on, the surprise about a betrayal in the group. So I'm just going to read these verses, verse 22 through 27, that really talks about what John's going through here and Peter. And the disciples began looking at one another at a loss to know which one Jesus was speaking. Lying back on Jesus' chest was one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. That was John. Of course, he loved all of them, but John pointed that out all the time. Verse 24, so Simon Peter nodded to the disciple, John, and said to John, tell us who it is whom Jesus is speaking. Then John simply leaned back on Jesus' chest and said, Lord, who is it? And Jesus then answered, that man is the one whom I shall dip the piece of bread and give it to him. So when Jesus had dipped the piece of bread, he took and gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. After this, Satan entered him. Therefore, Jesus said to him, what you are doing, do it quickly. All right, <clears throat> what can we learn from these? All right, one thing is that Jesus, uh, Judas, excuse me, Judas's decision was 100% Judas's decision. Jesus did not force his hand, even though he knew this was going to happen. It was, G it was Judas's call. Um, instead of trusting God's hands, Judas trusted his own to take matters in, in his own hands. When we do this, we're following the way of Adam, and then Satan can take control. And we think we're in control when, that, when we follow our own path, but it's not us really that's in control when we don't trust God so let's make this personal <clears throat> some of us and I've done this too may have said why didn't God stop me from this bad decision or going this wrong direction I feel pretty sure that God did try to stop us 
from going in the wrong direction, from making a bad decision. There are opportunities, and he promises, he says in Corinthians, that he has made a way of escape for all temptations. <clears throat> but we could be stubborn. And one of the most serious or risky areas to be in, and I think Judah's got in this area too, is isolation. And even though you're in a group, like this morning, you can still be isolated. Have you ever felt isolated in a crowd or in a room? You can get in your own little place and be af afraid to talk to anybody. In a small group, you can be isolated if you don't open up. You, so I just want to encourage you, especially, I don't speak to men because we tend to do this more than women. Um, don't be afraid to confide in someone when you're struggling, when you're trying to make a decision. I really believe if Judas had done this, he might have uh, made another decision, but he didn't. Another thing is, uh, this could save you a lot of pain as well. Ask for advice from people who have been where you're going. There are people who have already traveled a path, a direction you're heading. So ask. Good decisions, bad decisions, and talk to people that are interested in your interests, not just people who will tell you what you want to hear. Be talking to people who will speak the truth to you, that care about you. In Proverbs 12, 15, it says, The way of fools seems right to them, but the way of the wise listen to advice. All right, let's keep reading. Verse 28. Now none of them reclining at the table knew for what purpose Jesus had said this to Judas. For some were assuming since Judas had the money box that Jesus was saying to him, buy the things we need for the feast, it was the Passover, or that he was giving, them some, giving something to the poor. So after receiving the piece of bread, Judas immediately left, and it was night. Judas had completed, completed the betrayal and never repented of his sinful decision. And Jesus knew what Judas was doing. And this was the broken relationship that troubled Jesus. I got a question for you this morning. Where are you? Um, is there a broken relationship that you haven't restored with Jesus? Uh, is there a brokenness? Let's keep reading. This is verse 31. Therefore, when Judas had left, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and the God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him immediately. So what is glory? Glory actually means to give honor, praise, admiration above all, to lift up. For Jesus, though, his glory would involve a Roman cross. Now, when you put uh, a Roman cross and glory together, it makes no sense from a human perspective. When John wrote this letter 2,000 years ago, um, when the cross was mentioned, it was real clear to the readers of that day what was going on. Now, you may be interested to know there's no description in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, any of the gospel writings about the details of a crucifixion. So why is that? 
Well, the people in that day understood it. They lived it. They smelled it. The crucifixion was designed by the Romans for not just death, but complete annihilation, as if the person never existed, never lived. It was a shameful death, a shameful penalty. And it was a way to deter other people for trying to overcome the power of Rome. Glory and cross, glory and crucifixion were complete opposites. But Jesus turns things upside down, and he redefines glory. The cross is where God is glorified in him. It was his glory to what he, it, it, it was for his glory that he did what he did out of his love for us. Through his death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus will bring his Father, God, glory by fulfilling the Father's plan to bring us out of sin of bondage to the sin penalty of death. So you can look at it this way. The glory of God was to save you. God sees you as valuable. All right, verse 33. Little children, I'm still with you a little longer. You will look at me look for me and just as I said to the Jews now also say to you where I'm going you cannot come so there's a place Jesus is going that none of us can go no one can go to the cross as he did he suffered alone and there's a level of suffering that we really cannot comprehend this was the work of God he took on the sin of all mankind for all time verse 34 and this is where I want to land this plane. I'm giving you a new commandment that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you should love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have loved one another. Now, if you're anything like me, you might be thinking, yeah, I've heard this before. I've heard it last week. We talk about this all the time. Love one another. I got it. What else you got? I think Peter was kind of thinking the same thing. Listen to what he said in verse 36. But Lord, where are you going? I think he missed it. I miss it. Maybe you miss it. I think I might say the same thing Peter said. But listen to what Jesus responded. He didn't throw up his hand and say, come on, man. I just gave you a new commandment. It's a big deal. And you're asking me, where am I going? He didn't say that. No, he said, he patiently just answered, where I'm going, you cannot follow me. And I think there's a pause here. Now. Peter would follow later, but he can't follow now. Verse 37, Peter said, Lord, why can I not, why can I not follow you right now? I'll lay down my life for you. Peter wouldn't fully understand the connection with what he just said with this new commandment of loving others like Jesus loves until after the events unfolded days later. He wouldn't understand it, and we wouldn't have either. But to help us understand this, I want to go back into Matthew where Jesus is questioned by a religious leader, an expert in the law. He's challenged here, and he asked Jesus this question. This is in Matthew 22. Verses 35 through 40, he says, Teacher, talking to Jesus, 
which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now, listen to this. Jesus um, answers him, but he doesn't say, well, they're all great. Jesus' answer implies there are things in our Bible that are greater than others, and this is it. The greatest commandment, he says, is to love your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. So what does loving God look like in your life? So what I'm asking is, uh, how do you love a God that you cannot see? What do you do? Well, you might answer, uh, well, we sing songs. We sing praise songs. We worship. And we come to meetings like this at church, and we sing. You might think, I'm grateful for his mercy. Maybe I'm raising my hands. I'm thankful for his kindness, his grace. Now, all these things are really good expressions, an important part of our expression of love for God. But they're really not the heart of what God cares about, really. What does he care about? What does God, loving God, really look like? Well, Jesus answers that question. That's who we should ask. Now, this is also pretty important. Uh, when he was asked for the greatest commandment, the greatest commandment, and he came one, Jesus didn't stop with what we just read. He continues right on. The second is like it, meaning it's equal. He said, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Upon these two commandments hang the whole law and the prophets. He asked us to love our neighbor as ourselves, and he said that was like the first. And there it is. This is how you love God. You love God by loving the people that God made, the people that you see every day, eye to eye with, even the ones that are hard to love, even the ones that are hard to love. And I can be hard to love too, so I'm talking about myself. All right, there's a struggle here. <clears throat> Now, this is the new, the new commandment that Jesus gave his disciples in the upper room was love like he loves. The greatest commandment was loving your neighbor as yourself, love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. So these two kind of go together, but Jesus raises up a notch when he says, love like I love. And how did Jesus love? Well, he gave his life. He gave himself. Most of you will not have to give your life for somebody you love. If you're a first responder, firefighter, police officer, serve in the military, you may do that. Thank you. But most of us won't give our physical life, but you will have to die to flesh. And that, as a follower of Jesus, is necessary day by day. You will have to do that. So love is a struggle. Um, love can be a struggle. Well, I'm going to give you a practical example first about this. Um, let's say you worked hard all day, and I'm going to talk mainly to the men here. All right, you come home from work, you're tired, it's time to go to bed, you get in bed, you're about to fall asleep, and your wife um, says, honey, babe, 
sugar bear, or whatever, whatever she calls. Um, are you asleep? Are you asleep? And of course, at this point, you have a choice. You have a, a choice to make. Uh, you can just snore loudly, you know, ignore, or you can say, uh, "No, babe, I'm I'm not asleep. What you need? I'm cold." All right, another choice. You can say, well, get a blanket, or I'm not, go back to sleep. Okay. Uh, or you can love her like you love yourself. Now, if you were cold, you'd fix it. If you're hungry, you'd fix it. You know, you take care of yourself most of the time. So love like you love yourself. This is what it means to be a Jesus follower. This is a big deal. This is really a big deal. The real God is all about love. In fact, when John was describing God, that's the word he said. God is love. He said he is love. It's the heart at what's following Jesus. All right. <clears throat> when you share the gospel, mission work, whatever you do, love is the motive. Love is the motive, like you're loving Jesus. When you give, love is the motive, like you're loving Jesus. Missions and making disciples is just mechanical, cold process without loving people in the process. So love, relationship is the big thing. All right, got to share a personal story with you. Um, last spring, uh, I'm a school teacher, and I had the best setup ever since I've only been teaching six years. So best setup ever for my six-year career. I had a small classes, subjects I love to teach. I said, man, this is going to be a fun spring. It's going to be good. And one of my other teachers, by the way, we got some great teachers at, at the school. They care about your kids. Uh, they love on them. They pray for them. We pray for them. And uh, they really want what's best. I really believe that with all my heart. And so we were meeting trying to figure out how to be better teachers and what we can do to resolve issues. And one of these teachers I work with, highly respect, a very a great teacher, she was talking about how rough her class was. It was so hard. And I was feeling kind of guilty. I said, you know, okay. Oh, she was telling me stories about what she was dealing with. And I said, well, this is what you need to do. I said, well, first, when you start to feel those, um, you know, frustration moments, I call, that's what I call them, it's really anger, but, you know, a little bit of frustration. Um, they start to come up, then stop. That's your signal to stop, pray, and um, then ask God's Spirit to work through you. Just allow Him to work through you. That's what I do. That's what I told her. Well, about a month later, maybe a little longer, um, my small class that I thought was so good turned evil on me. I don't know what happened. They forgot their manners, how to behave like humans, and it was, it was rough. Um, and this one student, I'm ch changing names here, uh, Joe, I'll call him Joe. Um, he had struggled from the beginning, and I was trying my best. I was praying for him, trying my best to get him on track, back on track. And, but this one day, we had a lot of stuff to cover. And this group over here to my left, they were, you know, they were talking a lot, and I was trying to, you know, get them engaged. And, uh, and when I started feeling that frustration, you know, I was talking about, um, I forgot all about that advice I gave the other teacher. I, I, I started telling these 
kids, you know, you need to do this. And then Joe over here starts in, and I said, and I need you to shut up, okay? And I never told anybody to do that. I never, I'm, I'm not a great guy, but I don't, I didn't tell any of my students to shut up ever. First time for me for the shut up thing. And man, it just got worse. Uh, he he uh, escalated on up, and he I was disrespectful and all this, and probably he was right. Um, but it, I didn't respond well to that. But not to go into all the details about what happened, it finally got resolved. Um, took a little bit of administrative help, but it finally got resolved. <clears throat> that night, I couldn't sleep. I was thinking about the situation. I was thinking about Joe and God speaking to me. And uh, I was thinking, I do, and it just reminded me of what I told that teacher, and I didn't do any of those things I just told you about, like stopping, praying, asking God's Spirit to work. I didn't do any of that, and so he said, "You need, not, you know, you need to go ask for forgiveness. That's what you do when you do something wrong." I said, "Oh man, I really got to do it." Yes, you got, you need to do this. So the next day, I had a tennis match out of town, so I was going to leave right after this class got started. I had a sub there, so my plan was give them their assignments, introduce a sub, and then talk to the class about the situation. This is how it went. I said, yesterday, um, things got a little out of control. And I told one of the, you guys, I told one of you guys to shut up. Now, this is not how you speak to people you love and care about. And I need to ask your forgiveness. Now, I don't deserve your forgiveness, but I would greatly appreciate your forgiveness. Now, they usually don't listen to everything I say. It's usually not quiet, but it's kind of quiet when I said that. And I actually had some eye contact. Uh, now, Joe never did come to me and say, I, I'm forgiving you for that. Um, but I'm telling you, um, things went better. I told the class, hey, I hope you have a great day. Um, and I also told them that, listen, uh, as a follower of Jesus, I've been taught to stop and pray. I didn't do that. And so I told him that as well. Uh, and asked the Spirit to do this work in me. All right. <clears throat> so this is our battle. This is my battle. Now, I think this is your battle too. As Kenan was saying during the worship time, you know, it's on our knees. And we can't love others the way Jesus loves, without him working in us. I'm going to go back to verse 37 and 38, <clears throat> where Peter claimed that he would lay down his life for Jesus. And Jesus replied, you will really lay down your life for me. Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And it happened, of course, just like Jesus said it was. So we all fail. We all fail. The key is getting back up again and realizing that God's still working in us. And he promises to complete the work in you and me. He promises to do that. The key is always God is in you. We can't do jack squat from the Christian perspective without God being in you. And it's something we have to practice every day. So if you're a Jesus follower, you've got it. You've got the power of God in you. You just have to use it. You have to use God's power. So love will work against your flesh. And you can resurrect it anytime you choose, like I did. 
daily, sometimes moment by moment, you've got to pray like followers have been doing for 2,000 years. God, I need your spirit to do the work in me. Teach me how to love the people you love. Teach me and show me how to love like you love. So for Jesus followers, what neighbor do you need to show love to? Has anybody come to mind? Now, maybe you came this morning and you've never made that decision to follow Jesus. I want to give you an opportunity to do that. Uh, or maybe you just have questions. You need somebody to talk to you about. You're not so sure. And we're here for that. Our mission is to connect you with a growing relationship with Jesus. That's our mission. So I'm going to pray, and then if you would like for somebody to talk, would you raise your hand? Maybe it's to receive Jesus for the first time, or maybe you just have questions. Will you pray with me? <clears throat> Father, uh, we thank you for the work you do. It's a finished work. You did it on the cross. And Lord, uh, we do know you want to be known for your great love. We want to declare that to the world that we encounter. And Father, we can't do that without you working in us. We can't do that apart from your spirit. So that's our desire. And if um, you're in here this morning and you have never surrendered to God through his son Jesus and you would like to do that, would you raise your hand right now? Thank you. In Jesus' name.